Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 55. Today we're going to be talking about DNA. And what I mean by we're going to be talking about it is we're going to be asking questions about DNA with our guest, Diane Southard, your DNA guide. Diane joins us from Florida, and she has a fabulous website called Your DNA Guide and is truly what she claims she is. So let's just get right into our conversation after we talk about wine. Of course, we're going to talk about wine, and one of my favorites as well. Um, I love unoaked Chardonnay, and uh, this month we're featuring Mer Soleil's Silver. It's a Chardonnay from Monterey County. It's fresh. It is crisp with some pears and flowers um, and um, very bright um, finish and it is just lovely this time of year in the summertime when it's hot you can drink a lot of this and and stay cool so it's <laughs> delicious excellent and we we do drink a lot so <laughs> just had to put that out there but let's get right into our conversation with diane excellent well hi diane and welcome to our little podcast genealogy happy hour we're really happy to have you here to talk about dna Thank you. I am very excited, of course, because I love talking about DNA. That's great, because we have a lot of questions about <laughs> DNA. <laughs> a lot. Um, so let's just get right into it. Um, a lot of people are testing, and uh, there's several different companies out there that that offer the tests. And I know uh, two of the big ones that uh, you said are really good are Ancestry and MyHeritage. And there's also 23andMe, and I think there's a few others. Is that right? Right. So it's actually, yeah, five different testing companies offering some form of DNA test that I think can help you in your family history. So, yeah, you're right. I usually recommend Ancestry or MyHeritage just because they also have genealogy tools, right? And if you want to do genealogy, Mm -hmm. well, you need tools. So Mm -hmm. that's usually why I recommend them. But really... All five companies have something to offer. So there's Ancestry, MyHeritage, 23andMe, Family Tree DNA, and Living DNA are the five major genetic genealogy testing companies. Okay. And when we go to do this uh, genealogy test or this DNA test, obviously we're testing ourselves, but it's also recommended that we test our oldest relative. And why do we pick our oldest relative to test? Right, good. I'm so glad you've heard that. I worked really hard to get that information out. So, yeah, so you test your oldest relative because if you think about it, the way that DNA is inherited is that each of us gets half of our DNA from our mom and half of our DNA from our dad. So, while you are the only one of you, which if you stop and think about it, is pretty amazing. Literally, there will be no one who has ever lived or who will ever live who has your specific DNA signature. So that's pretty amazing in and of itself. But for doing family history, we don't really want uniqueness. We want shared. We want our DNA to be shared with other people so we can see relationships. And so if you test yourself, it's really like you're testing half of your dad 
where if you test your dad, you're testing all of your dad, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so the older generation you can test, the better able you are to represent the ancestor you're looking for. Because most people are, are doing the DNA test because they want to learn about a great-grandparent, for example. Well, if you test your DNA, you'll have much less DNA from that great-grandparent than your parent or grandparent would. Right. Makes total sense. And how many generations will we be able to link to using autosomal DNA? Good question. So when we're talking autosomal DNA, that means we're talking DNA that represents both sides of our family, but it doesn't really reach back farther than say five or six generations. So it's it's very limited, I mean, honestly. And, and we like to think of it as a really powerful record for our family history, but because of that same reason I was just talking about the fact that DNA's essentially lost at every generation, it's actually a pretty terrible record. I mean, think if you have like, I like to think about it like, you know, a lot of people have these genealogy binders, right? Do you guys have binders of all of the records, right? Yeah, so it's like, you would take that binder and you would rip out half the pages and then pass it on. You know, that sounds ludicrous, like who would do that, right? But that's really what DNA is doing at every generation. And so by the time you get, you know, six generations down, how many papers are left in your binder, you know? Hmm. So it's just hard to do it. Yeah. That's a great visual. I Mm -hmm. I love that. It makes so much sense. Um, So if that's the autosomal DNA testing, then your your mitochondrial Mm -hmm. is for your mother. And then the, The is it just the Y? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The right. DNA test is for your father. Does that go back farther? Yes. So why mitochondrial DNA are very different than the autosomal and their inheritance is very different. And so they can last a lot longer. So for example, on your Y DNA, if you match with another person, and it kind of depends on how closely you match and all that, but really it can be very helpful back even to 10 or 12 generations back in your family tree. And mitochondrial is very similar. So it's it's a much deeper record, but it's so limited because it's only telling you about that one single line of inheritance, just your mother's 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 mother or your father's 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 father. Yeah. And what, what companies do that do those tests? So for genealogy purposes, really the only company doing it is Family Tree DNA. Um, you can get a little bit of Y mitochondrial information from 23andMe and living DNA, but mm-hmm. for genealogy purposes, you really want to test with family tree DNA. Okay. And I will say, um, Diane, that I have met you at a Roots Tech. I can't even remember what year we went to Roots Tech, Amy, that one year that we went. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was having, I was struggling with the with the brick wall, and um, I did get to talk to you at your booth, and you gave me some great uh, ideas and and how to do that uh, DNA test with my dad. Oh, good. Unfortunately, I got no hits on that, <laughs> but it was it was a it was um it was a good process to to go through that with the Y DNA. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's it's a great next step. For most people, I mean, really, I recommend anyone who's looking for a male ancestor, no matter what line they're on, you should be doing a Y-DNA test on that direct male line. So the key is finding the right person to test 
So the person that's tested should have the same surname as the person you want to research. That's really the key. And then you test that person on the Y-DNA. And like you, yeah, maybe you won't find a match right now. But, you know, theoretically, as the databases grow, maybe someone will be tested. And, and that will be helpful. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Right. Yeah. Very good. So I think a lot of us who have tested, um, the first thing that we see when we get those results back and what we're really in, at first anxious and interested to see is um, our ethnicity and um, you know what, what, what percentage we have of, um, in ethnicity. But can you talk a little bit about those reference populations and because that can cause some um, confusion and I think maybe sometimes it gets gives us results that we don't expect. For instance, I have a cousin who we share the same German-born grandfather and yet she had no German Germanic um, in her DNA results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so, and then, and then talk a little bit about how um, each company has a little bit difference uh, in looking at those um, reference populations. Yes, absolutely. So this is such an area of concern. And, and unfortunately, because, I mean, I, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately, it is an area of growth um, for our testing companies, meaning that they're working on this, right? They're, they're growing their reference populations. So the reference population is the group of people that they're comparing you against, right? And so, for example, if your family's from Czechoslovakia, but a testing company where you test doesn't have a reference population from Czechoslovakia, they're not going to be able to tell you that you're from there. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. And so it's, it's hard when you're looking at your results and they have to put you somewhere else. They don't just tell you, oh, we couldn't find your population. Unfortunately, they don't do that. They mm-hmm. say, oh, you're from England. You know, and you're like, uh, not from England. So it, it is confusing. Mm-hmm. Populations are uh, another part of it is just the difficulty of of the timing of it. So like, like your friend who's German, right? Germany is this crossroads, right? And actually, you know, in the grand scheme of things, hasn't been Germany for that long, right? And so it's like. You know, when when a population is handed to you and it says something that's not German, you're like, what's going on here? Well, a lot of times the German population group is getting sucked into Great Britain. Like so many people are coming up as Great Britain instead of Germany. Mm -hmm. And Germany is just so hard. Like the genetics are so hard because they're so overlapped and intermingled with so many other populations, Mm -hmm. but it's getting better. Uh, It's getting easier to be German genetically. Um, And so there's hope, but yeah, most people I know who have German populations in their family history are not getting what they would consider to be accurate ethnicity results. Right. Okay. Right. There's, there's, there's been for hundreds, thousands of years, so much migration over the European continent that to find a pure Germanic, um, sample or an English sample, it, it must it has to be very difficult. It's very hard. It's very hard. And and I think I don't know. I think too for a lot of years the reference populations were so small that it was just really hard to get a good sampling of people from a particular area. And they're growing now, and that is helping and making a difference. And it is making your ethnicity results more robust. So. For example, at Ancestry, 
they have something called a genetic community. And those communities are displayed within your ethnicity results, but they're based on a totally different technology. They aren't based on reference populations. So those communities are extremely accurate. So if you open up your ethnicity results and you're part of a community, that is like hands down, that place belongs in your family history. So there's different technologies now being introduced to kind of enhance and, and just make those ethnicity results so much better. Um, today, for example, I was meeting with a client. Um, we do what we call mentoring. So we can meet together on Zoom and I'll help walk you through your own DNA test results. And so I was meeting with this client. She's looking for her great-grandparents. Her grandmother was adopted. And so we're, I, start, I say, start at your ethnicity. Always start at your ethnicity. And so I, we pull them up, and we're, like, ticking off. Like, her whole paternal side is from Denmark. And you can see that in her ethnicity results. The thing is, Denmark shows up in the England, Scotland, Wales category. Right. North, Northwest Europe. Yes, exactly. But mm -hmm. the community that they were a part of, it says Denmark, and then there's all these subgroups of Denmark in the community, but underneath Denmark, it says coming from your England, Scotland, Wales, Northwest Europe category. So you can see, oh, this 50% is all mapping to England, Scotland, Wales, whatever. And so then she has one maternal grandparent who was from Norway, and you see that clearly in her ethnicity. The leftover ethnicity that we can't account for in her results is Swedish. She's 25% Swedish without a single ancestor in her tree from Sweden. Wow. And hmm. so I said, right here, this is what we're looking for. Someone in this great-grandparent couple that you're looking for is from Sweden, and probably recently so, to have 25% Swedish. Right. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I had never even looked at that. I mean, I just thought that Sweden was there because, you know, we've got ancestors from Norway, and I just figured it was all kind of... I was like, well, it might be, you know, because they're not perfect. But I, for me, this was a big red flag. This was a, hey, this is, this is a clue to these missing grand, great grandparents. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, it's good to know that, that their technology is continuing and they're getting better at it. And I'm going to look for those communities now, too. Um, I know you, you, do, you, do, you do mention that in, in the book. Um, the when when we're doing our, our genealogical research, um, we always strive to um, get a question and to try and answer that question, and that helps keep us focused so that we um, know exactly what we need to be looking for. Um, and you uh, mentioned in the book um, that you need to ask a DNA question. What is a good DNA question? Okay, so a good DNA question, first of all, is looking for an ancestor that DNA can find for you. So like what you just said, we asked me how far back can autosomal DNA testing go? I said six generations, but looking for your five times great grandparent is actually not a really great DNA question because the amount of DNA you're going to share with cousins that far back will be so small and you have so many ancestors back that far. It's just really hard for DNA to give you any clear advice. So the best kinds of DNA questions are looking for anybody who's basically your third great-grandparent or closer. That allows you to use fourth cousins or closer to help you find answers. And that's really where the bulk of your matches, your good matches are going to lie. So asking a good DNA question just means find and look for an ancestor who's within that range. So we'll have a 
greater chance of success of finding them. You also don't want to go looking for an ancestor who didn't have very many siblings, for example. So like a great grandparent, um, you've got this short timeline in which to find their descendants, right? And if they only had your line as their descendants, like your great grandparent had one child and then they had one child who had you, uh, it's also going to be really hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you're the one with all the Mm -hmm. DNA. There's nobody else to help you. So it's thinking about things like that that Mm -hmm. just help you ask a good question that DNA can help you answer. Okay, good. And now can you go over the um, the five-step process that you cover in your book? Yeah, so it all starts really with a known match. And I feel like I talk to a lot of people, again, in these mentoring settings where I bring up their results and we're online together. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's my cousin. I know them. I know them. And they, like, want to scroll down to all the people they don't know that they're trying to find. And that makes sense because you want to jump into your question. But really the key is in those known matches. So going back to this example of looking for a a great grandparent. So other descendants of that great grandparent would be second cousins. So you are looking for your known cousin to help you essentially collect all the DNA that you can, that you inherited from that ancestor and go looking together. So Really, the first thing you need is a known match, somebody you know your relationship to that's also a descendant Mm -hmm. of the ancestor you're trying to research. So that's the first thing. Then you go looking for more people to help you. And to do that, you use what's called the shared matches tool, or at Family Tree DNA, it's called in common with. But essentially what you're doing is you're taking this one known match that you know your relationship to, and you're using them kind of like bait in your DNA match list. It's like you're throwing out your second cousin and everybody that matches that second cousin, you can think of them like glomming onto the hook, right? And you're reeling them in. And now you've got all of these people that are sharing DNA with you and your known match, which means these people should also be related to the line you're looking for. And that's when you can really jump in. So that's when you take like your first unknown match within that group you start looking at their genealogy. There's some genetic tools you can use. There's genealogy tools you can use. But really, once you've got this network of people, it's all about genealogy. And I feel like that should be a relief to most people who are kind of afraid of the DNA and the science to just say, you really don't have to do that much with the genetics. So much of it is just doing genealogy. So you've got this group of people And what you have to do is figure out how are they related to each other? Because you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what name you're looking for. Sometimes you don't even know what place you're looking for. So you've got to figure out what's the common thread between all of these matches in this little group I just created. And once you can find their common ancestor, then you know that couple has something to do with your brick wall. All right. Um, gosh, and I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, that just makes me think of the, the phrase triangulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, okay. <clears throat> and I know, um, I know some of these things, um, you know, even for me, it's when we get into this, it's, it's almost scary. There's just so much to learn and so much to know about DNA. And I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, it, this is just overwhelming. All I want to know is my ethnicity. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to go yeah. any further. Um, 
but I know I have been really trying to learn a lot more about it and, and how it all operates and working with the DNA painter and all that stuff. And it's, it's just fascinating. It really is fascinating once you get into it. Um, so and if, if you want to do triangulation or if you want to um, do the DNA painter, you have to have a lot of your relatives or uh, take this test. And it is sometimes it's hard to ask somebody to take a test um, asking them for their DNA. And I know a lot of people will say no, and that's okay. Um, that's their, their, their prerogative to, to not do it. But how can we explain to somebody what are the benefits of taking this DNA test? Okay, I just want to back up one section and just to let yeah. people know, like, um, these tools that you're talking about, like using DNA Painter and things like that, mm-hmm. they, they can be useful. But as I say, like in my book, too, like you'll notice I'll go through the whole step-by-step mm-hmm. process and I haven't used any of those tools because mm-hmm. I really don't think you need them. Sometimes they're helpful, but really you can get by never touching them. I, so I will just agree wanna, with that. I will yeah, agree with I just want to make sure people know. Yeah. And I, I think DNA Painter is fun because it's pretty when it's like, yeah, no, it's really fun. I love it. I, I'm with you. But if people are, you know, if that sounds like too much or that's one extra thing to learn, like you don't have to learn that kind of stuff. But okay. So the benefits of DNA testing. So it's just, and maybe this sounds terrible, but it's just like a sales pitch, right? You have to figure out what's important to the person sitting in front of me that I can tell them about this experience that will sell them on it. So we went, my husband and I went to this, like, you know, you can get like three free hotel nights, like in Orlando at a Disney resort. If you go to a two hour presentation about their timeshare, right. Have you guys ever done that? Okay. It's actually a fantastic deal, right? Like three free nights to sit and listen to somebody yak for two hours. I can do that. So this whole time we're sitting in front of this person, of course we have no intention of actually buying anything, but they totally missed our selling point. Like basically we were telling them legacy, that's our thing. Like if you wanna sell us on this, tell us we can use it for our children and our grandchildren, that'll bring our family together when we're old. That's what we were feeding him. And the whole time he tried to sell us on the luxury of the places. And we're like, look, we stay in like cheap motels. We don't care about the luxury, sell us on the legacy. And he totally missed it, like totally missed it, right? So you gotta look at your relative and think what's important to them. Is it legacy? Do they want to know that they've preserved or, or contributed to something that that will last? Is it mystery? Do they like dramas and, and mystery novels? Well, then sell them on the mystery that you can't figure out who this ancestor is. You know, find out what it is that that fuels them or drives them because likely you can fit that into why you're doing this. There's so many reasons people do genealogy. So you need to figure out what would be their reason and try to help them understand how contributing to this DNA test can help them do that. Gotcha. Oh, that makes so much sense because I I did get one of my dad's cousins to test on a mystery, trying to figure out if he and my dad were actually first cousins. Yeah. Yes. After I had found out that the grandparents got married a year after. Oh, yeah. Yes. So it's like, ooh, let's see. It all worked out, so it was good. But yeah, there was that mystery, and I think everybody was really wondering what the yes. what the story was. Yeah. And, and I think the important part of that too is to make someone really understand they're it. Like they hold, like I said, everybody has their unique set of DNA, and if you find that one cousin that you need, you have to help them see 
their record is so essential to this problem and there's no one else who can do this like they're it yeah, I think that's a huge that's point too yeah. yeah yes for sure well um I've got one last question for you I don't know if Amy, Amy might have another question after this but mine is um how easy is it to find living relatives using DNA um well you mean like like I know um uh, my mom had a cousin she wanted to find, and we tried pretty much everything. You know, every record we could find, we'd send a letter to that address. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing came back. And we even had, I even had her, you know, do the DNA test, and nothing had connected. It wasn't for quite a few years. We finally um, uh got a connection of some sort and I, I ended up writing an email or writing a message to the person who held the test and that turned it out t- turned out to be her um was it uh uh granddaughter I believe and oh. and anyway we were able to make a connection and figured out uh and I was able to connect my mom with her cousin through that DNA but I'm just wondering is that is it can it be easy like that? Is there, uh, you know, if you are searching for a living person, is DNA a way to go? Absolutely, yes, it's a way to go. Um, you can be methodical about it, though. So if you're looking for a missing person that you believe is still alive or maybe has recently passed away even, um, you'll want to test at all five companies because you really don't know where this person may have tested, what gift they may have received or what special they saw or whatever. You don't know where they may have tested. So testing everywhere is first. And second, you want to figure out all of the possible relationships that may come up. So like you're saying, this is this cousin's granddaughter that tested, right? Mm -hmm. So how much DNA would you expect to share with this person? And then you need to make sure you're always identifying every match at that level. So you might think, well, this is, you know, my cousin, my first cousin, but if that person doesn't test, it's one of their descendants, they're going to come up as not a first cousin, first cousin once removed, first cousin twice removed. You could even have a first cousin three times removed. I mean, if somebody who's 20 years old is taking a test and your first cousin could be 80, they could be three times removed. So it's, it's all about understanding, okay, if I have a first cousin twice removed. Where are they going to show up on my DNA match page? There's no category for first cousin twice removed. They're going to probably show up in the second cousin category. So everybody, I think, should always monitor their second cousin category. You should be able to figure out all of those people. You should. Some of them are going to be true second cousins, but a lot of them will probably be some form of first cousin. But if you're looking for an unknown person... You need to vigilantly watch that second cousin list because that's usually where your closest family members' descendants are going to show up. Okay. All right. Good to know. And you mentioned um, testing at at all five of the sites, but I know some of them, like MyHeritage, will let you upload your raw data from Ancestry to their site. Is that just as good or should you test anyway? Well, it's kind of like, what's your goal, you know, in this and what's your budget, (laughs) really? Mm. Um, Yes, you can transfer for free from Ancestry to living DNA, to family tree DNA, and to MyHeritage. 
So essentially, if you buy like a $79 Ancestry kit, you can get into four databases for the price of one, and you're only missing 23 and me. So um, you can't beat that. It's a fantastic deal. But if you can afford it, it's better to physically test for two reasons. The first is that means another company has your physical DNA sample. And I've been in the industry 20 years and I've seen companies come and go and you don't know how or when that's going to happen, especially in economic times like this. I mean, we like to think that all of our companies are robust enough to make it through this, but what if they're not? What if they have to close their doors and then what, you know, then your physical sample is at their company and it'll probably get destroyed and that's it. It's gone. So having your physical sample at more than one place is just like having it's the DNA banking, you know, it's having your, your eggs in more than one basket, essentially. So that's just a good practice. And second, there are some differences in analysis between the companies. So while they tell you, yeah, they can, they can do basically all they need to do with your transferred file. It's still not quite as good as going through their system raw. So there are some benefits to doing that as well. Okay, good to know. One of the one of the other um, comments that you get when you ask someone to test is, um, it, are the results or is the DNA truly private? Is the government going to get our, their hands on our DNA? And of course, we're seeing um, forensic um, genealogists now using it for the DNA forensically. So. Uh, what are the privacy rules here around the, te- the tests? It's that, that's, that's such a good question. So what everybody needs to do is you need to go into your settings. If you've already tested, you can go into your settings at all the DNA testing companies and you can download or, or view the terms and conditions. So there's two separate types of terms that you agree to or not agree to when you test. And most of the time we're so excited when we're first testing, we're just clicking and agreeing everything Mm -hmm. and we just want to get tested, right? Right. Go back and see what you agreed to. There's two parts. One, you have to agree to that just says, hey, we can test your DNA, which, you know, is why you're sending it in. So, yes, you have to say yes to that. The second one is, hey, would can we use your DNA for research? And so that means that the company has access to your DNA sample to do research. So for example, to build reference populations, a lot of our reference populations are being built by the people who are being tested. And that's really valuable. Like we need that, right? But a lot of companies are also doing some health research. And if you opt in, there's no like opt me into the reference populations, but opt me out of health. Like you can't do that. It's, it's a whole bag, right? You're in or you're out. So it's just important to know what each company is kind of into, which they do tell you, you know, mostly in those forms, but you can just opt out mm-hmm. if you're uncomfortable with it. That's the safest, most private way to test is just opt yourself out of that extra box, that research. And you can do that at any time. You can mm-hmm. go in at any time and opt out. Okay. So that's the, the most private way to do it. And and additionally, at Family Tree DNA, when you test, you're automatically opted into their law enforcement database, like you were saying. So again, you have to physically go into your in in and opt out, like you you're opted in automatically. So if you don't want to be, you have to go in and opt out. Okay. So those are the you know the the most private ways. As far as overall, how private is your DNA? You know, there's there's no guarantees. I mean, you see all the time, big banks get their data 
stolen. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's no guarantee, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's any less safe than any other way that we're sharing our data with the world right Mm -hmm. now, which we're doing in a million and one different ways. So I don't know there's any less safe than what we're doing, but it, Mm -hmm. it is, I mean, it's out there. Yep. So, okay. yeah. yes, someone could go and grab it for sure. Right. Just like yeah. they can go grab your bank account, just like they can track your cell phone signal. Like all of those things, yes, we're putting out there, and it just kind of depends on what you're comfortable with. Okay, good. Well, we can all go in and check our privacy um, boxes yes. and, and just make sure that, that it is what we want it to be. So. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What do we need to know about symptom organs and segments? Whew. How much time do we have? I know, right? (laughs) Holy cow. Um, Okay, well, so the important thing to know is that the centum organ is what's measuring your relationship. It Mm -hmm. just tells you how likely it is that you're to be a certain relationship over another relationship. And the more you share, the more you care. That's that's my motto. Um, So at the high levels, and when I say high, I mean like, 500 centimorgans or higher, those levels uh, represent relationships that are pretty certain. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like a first cousin right. or closer. And those relationships are like really solid. Like, you can mm-hmm. take that to the bank for the most part. Mm-hmm. When you start getting down in centimorgan counts like 30, mm-hmm. boy, those relationships are sketchy. I mean, you could be third cousins or you could be seventh cousins. And it's really hard to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. So the center organ is a guide and it's meant to help you know when in the pedigree chart of your match, you should start looking for your common ancestor. So if I share 30 center organs with you, I feel like the closest we could be would be third cousins. So I look in your pedigree chart at the generation that would make us third cousins, which would be your two times great grandparents. And mm-hmm. if I look at all your two times greats and I don't see anyone I recognize, I would go back another generation mm-hmm. and I would just keep marching back in your pedigree until I find something that interests me. Okay. So it's just those lower centimorgan counts are not good at telling mm-hmm. you when you're related. <laughs> you know, they're just not. Okay. So all you right. got to watch out for that. Um, okay. But segments, so different companies do things differently. They, their tests are run a little bit differently. And so different segment numbers at different companies can be different. (laughs) Um, but, um, in general, at all the companies except ancestry, you can see the size of the biggest piece of DNA that you share with someone. Mm. And this is a good, a good thing to look at, especially when you're looking at matches around that 30 centimorgan mark. So you could have a match who shares 30 centimorgans total and has one shared piece of DNA. That's it. All 30 is in one piece. So if you think about that piece of DNA coming down through the generations, to have a big piece like that, it really had to be shared relatively recently or it would have gotten broken up. And so if you're sharing 30 centimorgans with me and it's in one piece, I you probably are like a third or fourth cousin to me. But if the biggest piece of DNA we share out of the 30 is seven centimorgans, which means all of the other pieces are even smaller than seven, mm-hmm. yeah, don't even try. Okay. You're mm-hmm. not going to find your mm-hmm. common ancestor. Okay. It's way too far back. Mm-hmm. Okay. All so right. looking at you know how big the pieces are can really help you determine this match is worth my time 
or they're not. Right. Okay. That's a good place to start and stop <laughs> for right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, this has been fascinating. And uh, I think, yeah, we could be talking for another hour or two on this <laughs> <laughs> subject. But um, we want everyone to um, check out your website. And um, the book is fabulous. It's great for beginners. It's because it's step by step. And it gives you um, a guide, um, which so many of us, I, I know I need, um, to start utilizing the information that's there that um, goes beyond um, ethnicity. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. And we will put the we will put the link uh, to that in our blog post for the month. And um, hope everybody Absolutely. can get on there and get your book. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Thank yep. you so much, Diane. It was great talking to you. It was. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Keep up mm -hmm. your good work. There's so much need for good genealogy, especially beginner information. So I'm so glad you're out here doing this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I am so inspired now to dig into my um, DNA results and see if I can solve some mysteries um, and, that I have in uh, my family. So this is, um, you know, with a guide and with focus now, um, it's, I think it's going to make all the difference for me. I think, I think so, too. Can't wait to see what you find. Yep. All right. Until next right. time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly and never drink around genealogical documents.